Video Game The Movie The Podcast. Let me do a quick intro here, guys. Gals and non-binary pals. Let's all get on the train to video game town. Choo-choo! Chugga, 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 All aboard! Okay, everybody. Welcome to this super spectacular special bonus episode, bonus level of video game, the movie, the podcast. Your hosts are going to be extremely silly today, starting with moi, Mackenzie Eastrum. (laughs) And I am Nathan Eastrum. And I am Lexi Conwell. And the reason we're being stupid this week is because it's a hard week. We are recording this uh, the week of November 3rd. One of our hosts is American. We don't want to watch Silent Hill right now, so we watch Spy Kids! 3D. Attention. Attention. The new new Spy Spy Kids Kids movie movie is so exciting. You You have have to to cover your eyes eyes to see it in 3D. 3D. Coming soon to DVD. Hello, Judy. Your sister's missing. The third movie. Julie, what do you know about a new video game called Game Over? I know that just about every kid in the world is going to sign on and play it. Well, not if we can help it. The game is a trap. The third mission. Put on these glasses and you'll enter the world of the game. You go in, find your sister, help her shut down the game in 12 hours, or it's game over for everyone. The third dimension. I'm looking for my sister. She's somewhere on level four. There are no rules in this game except win at any cost. You get to bring in any one person from the outside to help you on your journey. Junie, where am I? In a video game run by a madman called a toy maker. Grandpa, you can walk. Oh, I can do more than that. Well, I'm taking this to the next You experience the rush. Let's find your sister, Junie. You feel the excitement. Carmen's on this level. I will crush you! You have to go through me first, Game Boy. I'm his sister. Let's kick some metal. You live the danger. Mega Race, the fastest, most dangerous race in the game world. Glasses, quick! You get the glasses, because this time... You're part of the adventure. <laughs> Spy Kids 3D, game over. Coming soon to 3DVD with your own set of 3D glasses. Totally relevant, and we're not taking it seriously because this movie doesn't want to be taken seriously. No, this movie knew exactly <laughs> what it was doing and what it was, and I it, it was better than I remembered. Honestly, Honestly, there is there is joy to be found in this film. <laughs> Nathan, basic facts time. Spy Kids 3D Game Over is a movie released in 2003 by director Robert Rodriguez, who is Ooh. probably best known for a lot of the grindhousey stuff he did with Tarantino, uh, Wait, which he's really? a very strange director. He has two modes: absolutely bonkers children's entertainment and more blood and explosions and guns than you can really shake a stick at 
And now anime adaptations, which is also, we'll get into that. Uh, But yeah, apparently he came up with this idea while he was filming Once Upon a Time in Mexico with Antonio Banderas and just kind of wrote the script as he was making a different movie. (laughs) Okay. Um, And aside from that, there isn't really much to say about it. It's a movie where two kids who are also spies have to go into a VR video game to try and save the world. So we all thoroughly are of the era of Spy Kids. Yeah, I grew up on this. We grew up Um, on this trash. I I read the books, some of them anyway. There are spinoff books of of these movies. I read some of them. I was really into the movies at the time. There are spinoff games. I own two of them. I have played them. I haven't played them recently, but I will talk about uh, Spy Kids 3D Game Over the game, which I think is just called Game Over. It's vastly inferior to Mega Mission Zone, which is based on the second movie, but it's still (laughs) a game that exists. So I want to go a quick once over the rest of the franchise here, because this is part of what makes this movie such an interesting thing to talk about is that it is actually a pretty freaking wild divergence from the rest of the franchise. It is weird on top of weird. So the first movie, Spy Kids, no colon, no nothing else, is just a movie about two kids who find out that their parents are spies and have to go rescue them after they are kidnapped by like a villain. Pretty basic stuff mostly about like family togetherness uh probably the most bonkers elements in that one are uh one there's a bunch of like fun kid bond style like sci-fi technology cool his parents get turned into horrible monsters (laughs) by a children's television host and their uncle is machete machete he's just Just himself he's just the guy from the movie it's just machete it's just machete (laughs) yeah that is one of the craziest parts about this franchise. So, also For- Cheech Marin is one of their uncles. This movie franchise has, oh yeah, also, we'll talk about the cast, but I'm gonna go over movie two for a little bit here. Movie two, there is now a child wing of the spy agency, which is problematic, but we'll go over that later. <laughs> And Junie and Carmen are actually not very good at their jobs compared to some of the other children. So there's a jealousy element. They end up on an island run by Steve Buscemi, who is haunted by his monsters uh, and miniature animals he has created. Uh, Turns out one of the other spies is a real dick. And then they save the day. But Junie, during this, has been framed for crimes. And he's like, (laughs) man... This child labor organization didn't have my back when I was framed for crimes. I'm quitting. (laughs) Reasonable. Yeah. So when we start this movie... The beginning of this movie is the best thing because it does all of the things we've talked about on this podcast being bad, but it does it well. It It does it stupidly in the right way. We open this movie with shots of an empty, dried up water park and Junie being angsty voiceover in like noir style jazz music and being like, I left the agency because they're, I don't know, not they were doing bad things. And so now I do the best I can on smaller jobs, say like getting cats down from trees and, and did being an, 
private investigator figuring out and he's like earning like a few dollars it's like four i think he has his going rate is like 435 or something 499 4.99 $4.99 notably this is $4.99 in 2003 money true (laughs) he's saving up to get a video game but we start in this water park there's and there's this other young girl who is they're both dressed in like noir he's in a trench coat she's in like an old you know hat and you know the 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 old-fashioned like winter clothing that you might like expect from an aristocrat from like eastern europe but like on a small child yeah and he's like who happens to be selena gomez Wait, really? Oh yeah. my god. It's actually oh, wow. Selena Gomez. Anyway. Cast in this movie. Uh, but here he is being really edgy and like he's he's done this investigation and he comes up to her in like to do a handoff of information and money and he's like I figured out why what happened to your water park. It's the winter and they close it down in the winter. And she's like who are they? He's like the people who really run your water park. <laughs> it's just like such low stakes it's i love it but it's all he's giving this voiceover intro and it's it's really bad but it's like fun because it's it's like it's fun he's having fun everyone knows this movie is fun and isn't meant to be serious and it's so good anyway now the conclusion me and nathan came to is that this movie is basically like one actor away from being a camp classic because as much as i think the actor who plays junie is like knows what kind of movie he's in i just don't think he has the charisma needed to pull off the lead role in a camp classic like this i think you need somebody with a little more judge that might be true but i think he's better than his sister I don't know. I think she has proven herself in more things since. Mm, But what he has done since, by the way, the actor who plays Judy Cortez, is gotten married to Megan Trainor. Okay. Yeah, this movie brings to mind so many different weird elements of our reality. Also in this movie, Cheech Marin, Lachetti, Steve Buscemi, George Clooney, Antonio Banderas, Ricardo Montalban, and Sylvester Sloan. Also Selma Hayek. Yeah, and Steve Buscemi comes back. <laughs> With what? Car- Carla Gugino. This movie franchise was a bit of a thing also in that like most of the cast and characters were like like Spanish speakers, like I want to say, I don't know if they're Latino, but they're like, there's definitely a cultural element here going on. Yeah. And it's it, it has, it interesting. Draws, I, I've since seeing this movie uh because of how time works uh i've seen jane the virgin which is a um telenovela yeah it's a telenovela and i recognized just real like not not elements but like hints at elements of telenovela oh yeah there's definitely a camp style to this movie that echoes the camp style of telenovelas because i think people who enjoy telenovelas know that they're like over the top and melodramatic and aren't like oh that's their purpose 
face value. That's like intentional. This movie is like that, but on some kind of hallucinogen because it's a real weird movie. I mean, this movie sold with red and blue 3D glasses to be watched with 3D glasses at certain points. I mean, this is this movie. No, this movie is bonkers. This movie. We didn't watch it with those. In universe asks you to like put on 3D glasses at certain parts of the movie. Very much like uh, a later film of Mr. Rodriguez's Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Which I did own with the glasses as a child. That's a much worse movie. I really enjoyed it, but it is but bad. It's, uh, but it's crazier. I don't know. They're both. These are both weird films. I think a lot of the shock value of Spy Kids 3 comes from the fact that it's like just a weird sequel. It's like really weird as a sequel, but it's also definitely a sequel. It's yeah. like 100% that this climaxing like denouement of our franchise, but also like completely screws with the formula and only has one of the main characters for most of the movie and is like set in an entirely different kind of like environment. Universe. It's really weird. <laughs> There is some things in common between this franchise and Fast and the Furious, <laughs> which is ironic <laughs> because both of these franchises had animated children's shows on Netflix recently, and they That's kind of wild. swapped places because the Fast and the Furious animated kids show is about like teenage spies that drive cars. <laughs> And the animated Spy Kids show is about, like, spies driving race cars. <laughs> race cars okay. are cool, apparently, is the main takeaway. So, yes, who wants to do the very quick, very simplistic plot breakdown? Spy Kids 3D. Colon, game over. Game over is a movie wherein Juni Cortez, the former operative for the OSS spy agency, comes out of retirement because his sister has gone missing inside of a VR video game, also called Game Over. <laughs> and he is the only one that can go in there and find her. And the reason that she has gone into this game is because a sinister villain known as the Toymaker has been capturing children inside this game for the nefarious purpose of breaking out of the digital prison that he was put into by somebody in the past. I think it's supposed to be the agency for some reason that is never really explained. They and do. If somebody gets through level five, which is supposedly unbeatable, he can escape from his digital prison. I think he's also yeah. planning on just holding the world's children captive until like he gets what he wants. Yeah, yeah there's another like, layer. Part of it, it is like he's going to mind control the youth because the youth are the world's future. And eventually it is revealed that Junie Cortez's grandfather, just known as Grandpa, no other name, just his grandpa, was the one who put him, put the toy maker into no, the- he didn't put did, him in there because he didn't, he was looking for him. He didn't know where he went. I, I they have a dramatic that, backstory, but I think it's separate. 
But I think he knew... I mean, he was searching for him, but I think he also put him in cyberspace and then couldn't find him again. Maybe. Because he wanted to go back to find him and forgive him. Yeah, but I don't see how that's connected to whether or not he put him in cyberspace. I think, well, it was like 30 years ago. Which is, here's another thing. This movie set in 2003. (laughs) Yeah. He was, he paralyzed Grandpa 30 years ago and was put in, I mean, the timeline matches up and he was put in cyber prison 30 years ago, which means he was put in cyber prison in like 1973 you know before the establishment of the internet (laughs) well you don't need the internet to put someone in a computer no they just put him on a floppy disk (laughs) yeah no i I believe it i I don't know who uploaded him to the internet when they i want to short like a short film that fills the gaps of those 30 years where it's like he gets installed in like one of those huge floppy disks and then it gets like passed around from like person to person and like put in the archives of the agency and then somebody who's like digitizing all of their material in a modern system like plugs him into the internet (laughs) yeah wreck it ralph 2 style (laughs) anyway so yes where were we uh i mean i think i'd pretty much explained most of the plot junie goes into the game meets a bunch of other kids that are playing it gets their beta testers yeah they turn out to be beta (laughs) testers they get to level five with working together and then the toy maker lets Junie's sister Carmen out. So Junie brings his grandpa into the game early on and the toy maker is like, hell yeah, my rival's in this video game. I'm gonna make sure they get here so that I can mess with him. And so he intentionally releases Carmen so that they get to him sooner. Okay. Which yeah, doesn't work yeah. because she's <laughs> like, no no no, we shouldn't go this way. That's to the toy maker. And yeah. they're like but so anyway, we're going yeah. this way. <laughs> And then he's uh, like, get... Tinker Toys, have have fun. Go go yeah. get murdered. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the grandpa is brought into the game by Junie to help him. Junie seems to have no plan to accommodate for grandfather's uh, wheelchair, uh, but he is given mega legs as an upgrade that appear out of nowhere and is revealed at the end to have been placed there by the toy maker. So- and then they get to the toy maker eventually he escapes because grandpa lets him loose while shutting down the game and then the toy maker threatens the city with a giant monkey robot so Junie calls which can only be seen it is digital and can only be <laughs> yeah, seen with the 3D seen glasses through. but can cause property damage yes it's yes. very weird and is not addressed <laughs> So Junie calls all of his family and he remembers what one of the other spies told him at the beginning of the movie that his family is everybody. So he calls in every major character from the previous two movies to have a cameo where they are all shot separately against a green screen and awkwardly (laughs) composited together. And then Grandfather goes into the robot to confront the toy maker and forgives him for causing the accident that led to his paralyzed and the toy maker instantly reforms and releases all the children from cyberspace. And it's accepted into the family. So do we want to talk about the tragic love story between Sylvester Stallone and Ricardo Montalban that clearly happened in their past? This is the best part of this movie. There is some serious homoerotic villain hero tension between these characters. 
So these two, Grandpa and the Toymaker, used to be spies together. They were partners in Spy. And at some point, it is claimed that the Toymaker betrayed the agency and his partner and caused this accident. And that's why the, the Toymaker has been running from Grandpa the whole time, because he couldn't forgive himself. So he's like trying to take over the world and give everyone a new start, like a fresh start, including himself. That's like yeah. his mo- his true motivation. It's just like I couldn't forgive myself my for, forgive myself for hurting you, my love. My yeah. love is subtext, but <laughs> so there is like a prequel here where these two are like 1960s James Bond Cold War style spies who have fallen in love with each other and have like I think my reading of it is that Ricardo Montalban's character eventually gets a wife and wants to settle down a little bit more and Sylvester Stallone doesn't take this well and so he ends up accidentally betraying him and like... Now, all of this is just like my reading, but I think it's a very dramatic story about a man who is unwilling to accept how he truly feels about his partner. I I completely buy this. And so he turned against him out of jealousy when really Ricardo Montalban just assumed that they would be in like some kind of a three-way, but you don't mention that. It's the 60s. (laughs) It's like the late 60s. You gotta be chill about this kind of thing. Anyways... By the end, it seems like everybody's cool with it. It's really weird. (laughs) Sylvester Stallone is also just like an amazing part of this film. He's so campy. He's chewing everything so (laughs) hard. Yeah, it's important to note that the two actors we're talking about here are Sylvester Stallone and Ricardo Montalban, who is the original con from the Star Trek movies. And they're both good enough actors to absolutely know how to play this kind of a character. Yeah, <laughs> they are absolutely hamming it up in the best possible way. Yeah, you're also like led to believe throughout most of this movie that Grandpa just wants to go fucking murder this guy. Yeah. <laughs> like that is like what you are supposed to think. But like J- Judy is constantly telling him revenge isn't the answer, Grandpa. <laughs> and he just kind of ignores here. him. Because yeah. Grandpa doesn't want revenge, but he doesn't mention that. Because yeah. I guess he wants to hold it on for like a, the most dramatic moment possible because he's a fucking Spaniard, of course he does. <laughs> he's he just like... Talking. Throughout he just, the movie, he's talking to this butterfly in the game that has been following him around, that it turns out the toy maker is watching him through this this little butterfly. And he keeps stopping to talk to it. <laughs> As if he is addressing the toy maker and saying vague things that aren't threatening when you know what his motivation is, but when you don't know his motivation, they do sound very threatening. (laughs) Uh, And he just shows up out of nowhere every once in a while to like deus ex machina save Junie. Yeah. So let's let's start with this. So... Junie is brought into the game because he's the only one they think can go after Carmen. Because I guess everyone else is busy. But like, one, they never established what's going on with the mom. And she would definitely go in after her daughter. Like, no doubt on that one. Uh, The dad is just like in making his lab. brains. 
Which we established in the first movie is bad, and we don't want to be making the super brains anymore, but I guess the movie doesn't care anymore. So he's making super brains, and he's gonna, like, perfect it, and then he, like, dramatically throws it all off the table to, like, go save his children. Which is so unnecessary. Like, the, he's got these brains, he's been working on them so long, and he's like, nothing can interrupt this moment. This is a pivotal moment in history. And then he's like, hey, you're... He gets it's basically a phone call. Hey, your son's in trouble. Colt just smashes all of the brains across the room and jet like jet boots through the ceiling, through the glass room. <laughs> so Everybody extra. in this movie has jet boots. Some of the people in this movie are robots that have jet boots, but some of them are just normal people that also have identical jet boots. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, this movie is fantastic. Uh, Oh, I guess at this point we should mention that me and Nathan watched this really high, which I think is about as the same as watching it when you're 10, maybe. <laughs> it makes about as much sense. Oh, there is, I do want to touch on before we, we joyfully describe most of the rest of this movie. There is one element of it I found genuinely really uncomfortable. Um, is it the ableism? Well, that, that, I feel like they're trying to do something good about it, but they're not really doing, like, it's kind yeah. of messy. I think I think the end moral of the disabled character's arc is being disabled didn't ruin my life. The people saying that are wrong. You can't yeah. understand, like, my experience. Stop acting like I'm lesser than, which is actually very good. Um, right. The thing that makes me uncomfortable. Um, so we set up that the first part of this movie is kind of noir-y. It's supposed to be private detective and it keeps a little bit of that in that this movie has a femme fatale and she's 11 and she's got like lipstick and there's a very pronounced like romantic subplot between these 11 year olds and it's just really yeah it's just like a lot i don't like they never sexualize her or anything i wouldn't go as far as that it just feels really weird yeah right like it feels Mm -hmm. weird yeah it feels weird also it feels weird in part because the actor who plays junie still kind of reads as fairly like prepubescent he's 11 in this movie yeah he's 11 when they shot this so like him acting like he's into this other 11 year old feels very strange and awkward it feels like there's supposed to be more time between these movies than there is yeah like i would buy this if they were all supposed to be in their like early to mid teens but the fact Mm -hmm. that they are as young as they are if he were 12 and like obviously hit puberty like that's a thing but they're 11 and it's weird it feels very uncomfortable 13 year olds totally 13 year olds have this kind of nonsense all the time yeah but it's just a little bit weird uh and that's not something i really remembered because probably when i originally watched this i was like 10 like tops so like yeah i wouldn't have thought it was weird or i would have thought it was weird in the sense that like i didn't care about that kind of stuff yet but like everybody kind 
kind of pretended like they had crushes when they were like 10. Yeah. Even though I'm pretty sure almost nobody did. Am I the I crazy know. run here? It, it's weird and complicated. Childhood. Anyways, I, that's my only point is that like the romance yeah. between Judy and Demetra, which is weird in its own right, without this part is a little bit uncomfortable. Now let's get into how it's weird in a fun way because Demetra is not a real person. <laughs> yeah, she's like an AI or made by the toy maker to The toy maker has them. created a sentient person. Yeah, Demetra's programming is that she is supposed to be there to basically waylay uh, players who get too close to level five too quickly uh, and basically make it unbeatable. Uh, except that when she meets Junie, she deliberately goes against that program at least twice. <laughs> Proving that she has some semblance of free will. She's also just clearly a person. It's like this child dies and the movie does not really do much to address that fact. Yeah. They're a real person and they're an AI, sure. But they're, she's a person. It's weird. Also included in this movie are three AI versions of Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> These people are amazing. I love his idiot clones. Uh, he's clearly having so much fun in this movie. <laughs> there's uh, like, it, go ahead. So the toy maker is, I, I don't remember if he's wearing this outfit the entire time, but at the end of the movie, he's wearing like a steampunk, like coat and like bowler hat. Uh, he might be wearing this through the rest of it. I don't remember, but his clones. He is wearing throughout the entire movie, a double breasted, like two buttons down the middle, leather coat. It's really gay. Like crushed leather. <laughs> it is peak. Like villain wear. It is it's, the best costume in this movie. Yeah. It's like snake skin or alligator skin. Yeah. Like it's got that texturing to it, which is just beautiful. <laughs> when he escapes into reality, he adds a top hat because he knows what he's doing. Yeah. The, t um, uh, the top hat just makes everything just come together. Chef's kick. Kiss. Uh, <laughs> chef's kick, too. Chef's kick. <laughs> chef's kick, too. Let's go with that. Uh, but his clones are beautiful. He's got this idiot general, like, in, in, like, toy soldier uniform. He's got this bald-capped scientist guy who's like, yes, I'm smart. And then he's got this, like, love guru teacher <laughs> with, like, a yes. long, flowing gray wig. Apparently... <laughs> The three personality points that the toy maker felt he needed to be able to personify as separate entities so he could communicate with them. Because at this point, it is clear he is the most sad and lonely person on the planet. It's just like really <laughs> pathetic. Are the version of him that is a militaristic asshole, the version of him that is a smart scientific type, which he unambiguously is because, again, he programmed a sentient being. And, and also figured out how to bring cyber totally digital material into the real world yeah, don't forget that bit too <laughs> um and three the part of him that is like a hippie <laughs> 
<laughs> so really, you can tell from these clones, the like inner turmoil he's been facing for all these years, that there is a part of him that just wants to conquer and destroy, but there is an equally strong part of him that who wants to make the world a better place. And they are raging inside of him. Inside there of him three is three wolves. <laughs> yeah, I was about to do that. <laughs> You could see this as him externally representing his id, ego, and superego. The id being the general that wants nothing more than to destroy. The ego being the kind and loving guru that wants everyone to get along. And the superego being the rational, intelligent part of him that mediates between the two. Now, you could argue on switching those last two, because there's also a reading of the ego as the, like, the obvious self, the, like, logical self, and the superego as the one where the morals come in. And mm. that could be more of the hippie's role. But I Either way, this movie's dumb as rocks and we are, like, getting into it. Let's justify for a second why we're talking about Spy Kids. It's a movie wherein the main characters are in a video game. That's it. It's very obviously a, a movie about video games. This is totally in our wheelhouse, much more so than Guns Akimbo. Let us have this. <laughs> Also, it lets us put off covering Ready Player One for a while. Uh, okay, so let's get into the video game, the specific challenges of this game. Can we get into Level... it as a game? Yes. First, like, get Wait, into as it a... conceptually, like as a video okay. game. So the game in question is Game Over, which appears to be some kind of disc-based MMO, MMO, because the in VR, in VR, but only using 3D glasses. Yeah, and it maybe transports your brain entirely to the digital world. Unclear. (laughs) It's fine. There's, there's. Junie goes through a portal. But it doesn't require a console, like a console controller, because Junie and Carmen are just suspended in zero gravity chambers, which is supposed to give them an edge on other players. But the other kids clearly are using controllers, at least. They're also clearly in the game. So yeah, in the game, you are wearing laser tag outfits, mostly. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, unless you are one of the two main characters who had an independent designer for their suits. Like, literally in the credits, there's one guy who did their suits. <laughs> and, uh, like, I guess the regular costume department did everybody else's. Um, All right. I mean, they got power suits, so sure. They got special suits. Uh, the design aesthetic of this world is bad. It's so bad. <laughs> it's bad. But so. even, even it's commented in-universe that it's bad. It's bad. It's really ugly. Ugly. Um, and it's ugly in a way that video games, like, it reminds me of, like, kid pics. It's, like, really weirdly ugly in very specific ways. Everything is... Ugh. Okay, we'll start with level one, because I feel like this is the easiest way to go with it. Level yep. one. Junie falls into the game wearing a Tron outfit, basically. Yep. <laughs> Just a Tron outfit. Yep. Um, it's, like, different enough, but it's basically a Tron outfit. Uh, he gets dropped into a Looney Tunes-style city. It's, like, a terribly rendered, ugly-as-sin really 3D bad. model of a city. <laughs> but I mean, all he's of the, like, like, ugh, low-res. Yeah. <laughs> all of the, like, buildings are, like, weirdly off-kilter, and none of the textures look right. And the primary enemy in this zone seems to be frogs on pogo sticks. Yep. Also, 
there are coins that seem to be a collectible, which only come up in this scene and no other scenes, that it appears you have to physically pick up and carry in order to collect. Which explains why you lose your coins when you get hit, because they're just knocked out of your arms. (laughs) Yeah, because there's another player that he runs into at the beginning that is running around the street just picking up like small plate-sized gold coins and just stacking them up in his arms. (laughs) Yeah. He then beats up Which, some frogs. Yeah, he Just grabs like, a frog by the tongue and uses it as a weapon. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like it's like Baby's first attempt at making a video game in Unity using like artwork and textures that you found on like the depths of a forum from 1995. Just th- yes. and slap them together. <laughs> so already this game makes a minimum amount of sense. But if this is an MMO, maybe we can assume the frogs are some kind of mob and collecting a certain number of coins is like part of an early quest. Oh, so there's a quest marker actually in the background of one of these scenes. We see behind Junie a question mark in the air. Yes, and I, I noticed that it, too. It, it only is there for like that one like camera cut, but there is a quest marker that someone has clearly taken. <laughs> so there are quests. At this point, Junie gets knocked into a sewer. Okay, let, let's cover the basic like design of this game. So new players are dropped in with nine lives and you lose a life by taking damage a significant amount of damage which is vague and seems to mean whatever the plot needs for someone to lose lives to build tension yeah like literally Uh, the same action can happen to two different characters and cause a different amount of life loss yeah and then also, apparently, as told by a weird orb head, orb face, orby McOrb, uh, the, the genuinely you... kind of unsettling robot head that shows up around this movie a lot. Yeah. Uh, apparently, if you lose all of your lives, you lose the game forever. No resets, no replays. You're... If you die in the game, you die in real life, but it's not clear <laughs> if you actually die in real life. You just can never play the game ever again, or you're trapped forever in the game which is already what's going to happen anyway it, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense i don't know and what's see, going on i can kind of accept that level of insanity because the toy maker is clearly not well <laughs> the, the his gen- he says am i going insane and the general says completely <laughs> Yeah. And he's him, so he would know. Yeah. There's also a moment where he's he has this discussion with these three clones of himself, and then he like has this moment where he realizes that he's been talking to himself the whole time and he's like, Sometimes I forget the extent of my programming powers and for a minute there I thought you were real and then he turns them <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. So yes. Uh, it's important, I think, we cover that this game is supposedly incredibly popular. Like, people are lining up down the street to get their hands on this thing. 
They are yeah, judged t- to be able to play game over. There's a time limit of 12 hours, which is very arbitrarily sped through because of basically in 12 hours, the game will launch live and the, all of the world will be sucked into it and be mind controlled. Where So all the players that are in the game currently are just beta testers or Yeah, there's a robot. like six people and like a robot. Um, the other big thing about this game that is a lie, but is also just like really weird for like a narrative and game like if you're thinking about this as a video game it's wild is that if you get to the end of level five you get endless treasures and like cool present like in the the real world you have (laughs) riches beyond your wildest dreams the toy maker is trying to willy wonka his mmo and it's just like (laughs) nobody who wrote this script has ever played a video game but also that's ready player one that's literally the plot of ready Ready player one (laughs) which i believe was written after this movie came out. Other similarities with Ready Player One. The protagonist is like a sad boy. There is a very, very important street race. There is an awkward love interest who is way better at the game than the protagonist, but still doesn't get to be the hero. And it's dumb as rocks. <laughs> uh, I've never read I look the forward- book. Nathan read that book. I look forward to seeing Ready Player One because I have not seen it yet. I will say that the movie is fine. Okay. It, it has problems just because the source material does, but like overall, Steven Spielberg at least makes something watchable, watchable out of it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this this movie is a little bit of like everything from like the late '90s, early 2000s. There's elements of it that feel like they're drawn from anime. There's some elements. <laughs> that feel like they're from like there's a cyberpunk book series i read in high school called otherland where a bunch of different people get trapped inside a vr like network of different worlds and have to figure out what's going on and why they're trapped there that feels a lot like very similar to this in in, in areas <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's it's not a hopeless concept. It's just really it's executed in a very stupid way. <laughs> and I don't mind that because it's enjoyable. <laughs> Uh, so the Junie, yeah, he falls into a pit and then gets bubbled up into the into level two because he di- he loses the life on level one. He moves up to level two where he has to, or another part of level one where he has to hit a giant target and get launched to the moon, uh, <laughs> which he does. And there's not a whole lot to talk about there, but he gets like blasted through space to the moon where he then slams into the moon and loses another life. But then. <laughs> Immediately engages in a giant robot fighting. I feel like I want to make a point here that this world seems to be a 100% constantly rendered physical space that you have like no loading zones and you can travel through, like literally travel through because he gets knocked into the sewer and then he gets launched into the moon. But there is consistency throughout that. Like they are physical spaces that have an actual difference between them. Okay. Maybe the moon is a separate zone, but everything else seems to be connected. I think the moon might be a separate zone 
phone and the launch screen like between whatever like earth and the moon i think that might be actually a loading screen (laughs) i think that could be a loading screen you know because you can't interact with any of the asteroids or anything you just are launched at high speed he's clearly lying on a green table and (laughs) and (laughs) with like maybe a fan in front of him Yeah, what's weird about this, the the moon and him being launched there is he runs into this group of beta testers. They tell him that level two is on the moon and he has to launch from this target spring thing to get there. Uh, But then it's clear that they were lying. All right. And yet, because they were trying to get him out of the way so that they could win the game, except he gets to the moon and there is a path to level two through the moon, which is winning the Colosseum fight with the giant robots. (laughs) Which is where this movie gets very anime. Yeah. Yeah. There's an element of this robot fight that I found fascinating, which is that there is a the robots have a physical control interface that consists of these square panels that the player stands on. And as they move around and step like on these panels, it moves the robot. But they're already in a video game. They already have a means of controlling an avatar. So why do they then need a physical interface that appears as if it would be something you would see in a like physical sci-fi world that you would be operating as a physical corporeal human being it's it's almost like they're trying to octodad this up where you're controlling your avatar who then has to control a, the real world or uh octodad's the wrong comparison it's the space uh dlc for goat simulator where you have to individually <laughs> control your goat's arms when flying a ship <laughs> It's bonkers. I could buy that. So this is where Junie is introduced to Demetra, the love interest slash literal deceiver. Like, that's her title in the game, which is, like, garbage, but whatever. Yeah, there's a tech manual that basically prophesizes a bunch of the events of the game, including the guy who we eventually refer to Junie as, but we'll get there. We'll Uh, get to that, because I am very excited to talk about the guy. Um, Anyways, he has a robot fight with Demetra, which is, like... She kicks Why is she here within her programming? Is she just here in case people end up at the robot fights to beat their asses? Because it's not part of the main storyline is what we've been like told is that this is like an optional side quest or like there's three different ways to get to level two. Like this- anyways, <laughs> he stomps her and then they launch him out of the battle arena, still wearing his robot control armor, even though that's not supposed to be how that works. Because the second he lands, they're like, oh my god, only the guy wears the robot armor, which apparently isn't part of the main plot of the game. Yeah, it's a big point that he got out of the Colosseum with a suit of power armor. Which does not seem to benefit him in any way. No, it's not useful at all. It's just... like. I can, you can tell how awkward it is to move in. He is struggling to run in this thing. <laughs> I will say Carmen's so power suit looks way better. It does. She's got like a claw arm, which is pretty neat. Yeah. They also clearly made hers out of a better material because it reflects the light in a more interesting way, whereas Junie's is very like 
flat. It's foam. It's very, it's very like matte plastic. But they, every time someone like taps it or touches it, it makes like hollow, like metal ringing sounds. <laughs> like they wanted to really emphasize, the, try and emphasize that this was like armor. I feel like at this point I should mention that it's not just the CG that's bad. The green screening in this movie is like I saw like seams on the walls and like yeah. genuine like chunks of green. Like it wasn't consistently like that low level but like it's never great there's a moment that really stood out to me where uh we'll get we'll get here but there's two programmers that grandpa sneaks up behind because he can turn invisible now and he picks them up by the scruffs of their necks but we get this like we're looking at them we're watching him come up and then we get this sudden camera jerk to like a different camera angle There's where a jump they cut. then get yeah but it's just staring at them it's so bad looking yeah. As they get picked up, but... Oh, yeah, and another thing about the design of this game is that the programmers that work on this game are also in the game roaming around as, I guess, like a police force that is supposed to find and punish people for cheating. Yeah, and they're like goth programmer bros. (laughs) They're playing the game to be doing this. Like, these are their avatars. It's not like they programmed something to hunt down down cheaters they i guess got tired Active. of programming and just wanted to play so also they, they look actively... like they're like 16 yeah oh totally so they're like they're like in all black they look really edgy they look they're trying so hard and then i guess it's revealed that behind their avatars they're just like basement dwellers they're nerds but also like this raises some questions. How has the toy maker been paying these people? The promise of riches hired? beyond their dreams. Do they get a cut of the proceeds? Because this game is making bank. Like, people are buying this thing. Except for, like, the server costs are also a concern. He's in cyberspace. How is he dealing with any of the logistic issues of releasing a mainstream AAA video game? This is 2003. The internet is not that good. But also, he's in cyberspace, and they have jet boots. <laughs> and like a robot frog and super brains and pigtail helicopters and spider climbing things and also spider miniature spider horse centaurs and, and small sharks and miniaturized sharks and uh, 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 holograms the, of the president holograms of the president George Clooney <laughs> president George Clooney former spy and president George Clooney uh, and let's see what else we've got uh, the foogly heads and invisible robots like what What do you want from us <laughs> we can't take also this also the seriously. tiny robot army of robot the toy maker. that I kind of forgot were an element of this franchise yeah this Although movie, I will say it's most, fine. most of this is OSS technology. It's not yeah, mainstream, no, publicly-facing toy- technology. The OSS has a massive building that <laughs> is shaped OSS. Everyone knows that the OSS exists, and the Toymaker is former OSS. It's oh, fine. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Fine. The logistics of this game. See, unlike Sword Art Online, I don't care that this movie doesn't understand MMOs because this movie is not really about that. Not at all. <laughs> there doesn't seem to be any way to progress your character in Game Over. 
except getting power armor or upgrades that we only ever see them appear when the toy maker makes them appear. So it's <laughs> unclear whether these are normally a part of the game at all. I mean, yeah. to be fair, there might be a big day one patch coming. It's hard to say. <laughs> I think they do mention something about it, patches. Yeah, it's. I don't know. This whole thing is just so thoroughly 2003. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's charming in its silliness. Uh, so we wanna... uh, we'll keep moving on the plot here. Junie meets up with the same guys from earlier because, again, there's only like five people playing this game right now. Also, it's unclear if the guy, I think the guy running the robot fights is a player. Yes. Yeah. Because uh... he talks about if Junie doesn't get beat too bad, he gets bonus points. So in addition to the beta testers, I guess there's just like one guy who's like, I'm just going to run the robot fights. This is fine. <laughs> like his long-term strategy is get enough bonus points through operating the robot fights to win the game, which might be a legit strategy. Maybe he's like an EVE Online type. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Min-maxing the game's economy <laughs> to get points. Uh. He's, he's one of those. <laughs> But it's fine. I liked him. Judy meets up with the other players uh, who now some of them think he's the guy, the character from the poster and game box like art. Who, the poster child. The poster character. He has the In same what? hair and power suit and stance. It's literally Juni, but with his face blacked out, like so, in shadow. In universe this is either something in the game manual that is like very vaguely described as possibly a thing or it's like a 1990s early internet style game rumor like if you beat the game in this way you can unlock this character or if you use strength on the truck you can get mew like it's that <laughs> kind of like well there is like a thing here and another thing we know about so logically speaking obviously there has to be a character that's based on the character from the box art who is clearly just like an icon for the entire like character like the, the default character design but like isn't that because the guy is real I will say I didn't kind of enjoy this element because there is something to this as like an early 90s internet gaming rumor that I liked. The problem being that this game is not released to the public yet and has like... 10 players that are in beta. Yeah, the game sometimes feels like it's been running for like years and years and people have developed a deep cultural connection and like an entire world here, but like it isn't even out yet. I mean, they're just reading to, the tech manual. To give a little bit of credit to Ready Player One, that is the setup for the Oasis in that story is that it's been around for like a decade or more and has become entrenched as this like cultural phenomenon and people have developed this like folk mythology around parts of it in those years which is what it feels like this should be in in spy kids 3d but just this, isn't it feels like robert rodriguez had just finished reading some like cyberpunk stories about people stuck in the internet and some anime and was just like <laughs> I want to make another movie. I can use the Spy Kids for this, I guess. Yeah. Um. Anyways. Have the budget. And I, I know that he's an anime fan because he adapts Alita Battle Angel later. 
um, which oh, that's the same guy. I, yeah, he's involved. Yeah. Uh, I think he I haven't seen the movie. Yeah. I don't remember it, but... if he directed it. I actually quite like Alita: Battle Angel, not in the like shitty online way of I don't like the Last Jedi because I really love the Last Jedi, but in a like I am a girl who loves me robots like a lot. Like I'm currently <laughs> writing something about robots, and it's the only thing I've ever consistently written in my life. Like I love robots, <laughs> and I love YA nonsense that's supposed to be empowering for like 13 year old girls because inside I am a 13 year old girl so like Alita Battle Angel and Jupiter Ascending and um, A Wrinkle in Time are like seriously my shit regardless of whether or not they are high quality in on themselves which I'll debate those three in very different ways I'm not saying those are equal (laughs) movies but like Robert Rodriguez is a weeaboo and that's fine because the way he does it is amazing there are parts of this next scene which I've been trying to get to yeah. they, they think he's the guy so they're challenging him to a race to prove that he's the guy that makes about as much sense as anything this race is Ready Player One and Speed Racer it is the campiest action sequence I have seen in years it is so good <laughs> and it is pure CGI. Oh, I mean, the movie is CG. <laughs> it's bad. See, the CG actually looks its best when there are no humans visible. So, like, mm-hmm. during the robot fight, there's some moments when you can't really see either of the actors because it's about the robots and not about the people, and the people are very small. And it looks pretty good then, because you can get used to like a general CG landscape that's like low res and like low quality because that's fine. It's when people are there that it looks like sin. <laughs> And not Sin City, just Sin. All right, so the race. They're on light cycles, basically, but with that light part. um, Basically, they are half hover vehicles, except some of them, some of them have wheels. Some of them have a wheel. Some of them are wheels, but float where another wheel should be. It's a lot of, they're all completely unrelated designs. The design also feels very, very anime to me. It's a very anime kind of aesthetic with some Tron influence. Like this movie is... 75% 75% cyberpunk, 5% noir, 10% Tron, and like 10% anime. <laughs> it's a real hodgepodge. Oh, and I this is wrong. Cut it back to 70% cyberpunk and throw another 5% for the actual spy movie that it's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> Because it doesn't not do that at all. It just does it about as much as it does anything else. Yeah. (laughs) There's also a part of this scene that really reminds me of a climactic battle in the Final Fantasy VII sequel movie. (laughs) There's a CG animated sequel to Final Fantasy VII called Advent Children, where there's a climactic battle between the, the, the main character and two of the villains, where they are racing motorcycles at full speed down a freeway while fighting with swords, like, across Whoa. bikes. This got cannibalized into the remake more recently. Well, there is a scene in the original game where you're riding a motorcycle and fighting soldiers with your sword. It's a thing that's been used in the the franchise several times it's very anime yeah (laughs) is what we're saying 
And it reminds us also of Speed Racer, the classic anime turned classic er Wachowski sisters movie. That was a Wachowski is... movie. Oh my gosh. Speed Racer is a genuine delight. Just go into it knowing it's a camp classic. Don't don't try to think of it in any other light. They said their intention with it was to make a cubist film, <laughs> which <laughs> is wild, but like good on you. <laughs> Can I just say I love the Wachowski sisters? Is just like unironically like there is no movie of theirs I've ever seen that doesn't have something really compelling about it even if it's kind of a mess <laughs> uh. and Robert Rodriguez feels kind of like a lesser Wachowski you can have a little bit of Wachowski as a treat as a treat <laughs> <laughs> uh. But the race happens at one point in time, somebody's car gets pied. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And pied is in like a giant pie tin with pie comes out of a car and throws it like a red shell. (laughs) Also, uh, when Junie meets back up with these beta testers, one of them doesn't believe that he's the guy and is kind of suspicious of him from like from the get go. And he convinces Junie mid race to press a button that is marked do not press because he says that it'll be like a secret speed boost. And really, it's just the ejector seat button. So he presses it mid race because he's an idiot. And he goes, flying out of his car and like just falls backwards through the racetrack until he ends up getting grabbed by grandpa and put back on another vehicle on the yeah. iconic vehicle of the movie because in the first at the beginning he's in just a tank it's like a six-wheeled massive formula one, formula one racer but it's like the size of a tank it fills up most of the track now he's on the iconic there's a wheel in the back of the bike. The front of the bike is a hover bike, and it's, it's red. very it's, much a light cycle. Yeah. Naka. It's a light um, cycle with one wheel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is near this point where Demetra shows back up, but she's got a fucking bull- Unicycle? bulldozer. Oh, no, right. No, she has like a claw a arm. construction te- like, built, like, tr- truck. Like, there's a name yeah. for these things. The ones she- with scooper grabbers. Oh, um... A backhoe? Backhoe. Yeah, it's like a round sci-fi backhoe. <laughs> like the backhoe in iRobot. Um... <laughs> Hmm. There's a backhoe in that movie, trust me. Um, and she tries to do some murders. Junie ends up winning the race on, on a, hubcap. a like hubcap. But then the three guys who he was supposed to be racing are just there? Well, they co- cross the line behind him. They're ahead of him in that shot. Whatever, the movie's not very so, good. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. It's time. It's It's time. Uh, at this point, Demetra joins the group, uh, and they- She's like, you're the guy. And there's weird yeah, but- tension, whatever. Go into level three? Uh, yes, at this point, we are only now reaching level three. <laughs> Which is where the programmers are. Yeah. Uh, and that's, then- be- uh, that's between levels. Okay, it's on so- the pathway to level three. Yeah. And then Demetra is like, I got some like cheaty cheat codes to help you find a shortcut to get to your sister faster. And then Junie's like, these are illegal. <laughs> Um, but he uses them later anyways. Uh, Grandpa beats up the programmers, and then we get to actual level three, which is a lightsaber fight. So, yeah, it's a light (laughs) staff fight. This is another element where this, the design of this as a game really falls apart. 
because beating level three requires choosing your best player and your strongest player to uh, to attempt a challenge that you're not told what it is when you choose your players and it turns out to be these two are going to fight to the death against each other I want to point out that this is not level three in that it is level three. It is level three that the toy maker has decided will be level three in this instance. The the toy maker is in full control over this scenario and is trying to weaken the group. Right. That's that's fair. I still choose to believe that this game is still built in a way that it demands you form alliances only to betray people because that feels like it reads as part of his pathos. Ah, yes, Among Us. (laughs) He's going to force children to make friends to survive this hellscape and then betray each other horribly by, I don't know, kind of disabling their ability to continue in the game. Oh, yes. Also, uh, important note before this happens that uh, the toy maker gives Junie a very rare health power up. Yeah that is supposed to restore his lives. Uh, and he is at this point down to, what is it, like four? It's like something four or three something or like something. That. Yeah. yeah, he's like on the on the like lower half of his life gauge at this point. Uh, and he willingly gives it up to restore Demetra's lives because he says he owes her for the arena because he took out like three or four of her lives while they were doing the robot fight. Uh, So she goes back up to full and everybody (sighs) else in the group sees this as him making this like wise sacrifice because he's the guy. So he must know how valuable this power up is. I I don't know. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's they see it as a romantic gesture. It's very clearly a romantic gesture. Like (laughs) someone says, like, does he know how valuable that is? And he's like. Yeah, he does. He must. And and they're like all nodding at him as he like awkwardly flirts with Demetra. I mean, they they're they're very much like the background wingmen throughout this movie. They don't do anything. Yeah. They're just there nodding wild. approvingly cuz they're all idiots. If, if they think he's a game construct, it's especially wild. I don't think they think he's a game construct. I think they think he's a prophesized player. Yeah. Yeah, the, like, deal with this game is so bonkers. So then also, just before they choose the players to engage in this trial, uh, one of the beta testers, what's his name, Arnold? Arnold. Yeah. yeah, Arnold tells his sad backstory that about how he is from an impoverished family and winning level five and earning all of the riches will help lift his family out of poverty <laughs> right before he is chosen as the strongest player and has to fight to the death against Junie. <laughs> We get more witty one-liners in this scene where Junie's like, I can't fight Arnold. And he's like, eh, eh, er, no, I don't want to fight Arnold. And Arnold's like, I don't want to crush Junie. <laughs> <laughs> and then Junie's like, I can't fight you. And Arnold's like, I know. I know. And just proceeds to beat him up. <laughs> it's like really brutal. Um also, the fact that this kid is living in poverty, never addressed again. Nope. And I mean, he has VR. Can. He has VR in well, He's poverty. a beta tester, so maybe he's like working for them. Th- then why would he... <laughs> There's so the much equipment. wrong with this movie. Oh, it's very <laughs> silly. 
Anyways, uh, Arnold doesn't crush Junie because Dimitra steps in, wasting all of the lives. It's completely yeah, nullifies after. the sacrifice that Junie just made. Junie uh, has 0.5 lives now and is about to take the finishing blow. And then Dimitra steps in with all nine of her lives. And then Arnold one shots her. <laughs> one I, hit. We have established that the life system in this is terrible. Uh, anyways, they then move on. Uh, they find Carmen in level four, which is Near not level really level four. four. It's a shortcut. It doesn't matter. It's a lava volcano surfing on rocks. Yeah, thing. this is a way to level four and or something. And yeah, they they are like, let's go this way. And then Carmen's like, no, let's not go this way. And then Tinker Toys chase them back to go that way. And they surf on lava. And it's they they yeah, they they surf on lava. And that's like it until they uh, the spies from the OSS agency are like, they're going towards the toy maker. They're going to release him. We have to get them out of the game. We have to drown them in lava. So they program in a giant lava monster to just completely dumpster all of them. But Which, instead like, of... It, it's canon that the lava will take away all of your lives if you touch it. But the toy maker changes the program so that it's now cold and they can just swim in it. And then they find a secret entrance to level four. So here's the thing. <sighs> just how much power do the spies have in this world? Because if they can program in entirely new enemies, you think they might just be able to shut the dang thing down. You'd think, but apparently- Just crash it. Just DDS the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> just DDS it. It's not that hard to DDS things in 2003. <laughs> Alt F4. Alt F4, baby. Alt F4. Control, Alt, Delete. Uh, I also want to backtrack here. Because one of the things we kind of glanced over is Junie bringing Grandpa into the game. Mm -hmm. So when he lands on the moon, he's given one last lifeline, which is bringing in another family member or anybody into the game. He chooses one of his family members because this kid's got a complex. He ignores <laughs> his mother, his father, his uncle Cheech Marin, and his uncle Machete um, in favor of his grandfather, who is like strategic and smart and like very capable, but disabled, uh, which the- Oh yeah, this horrible so thing. This is this scene. So, yeah, at this point, Junie is like, well, he's been disabled for 30 years, which means his power levels have like doubled up in the top part of his body. <laughs> his the energy going his... to his leg, the energy going to his legs has doubled back into his upper body so now his he will have the strength in his, his arms that are twice the strength of any normal man and his brain is now super powered and his heart they mentioned <laughs> yeah, the heart his it brain doesn't really clarify what arms. that does never mind the fact that he is a senior citizen <laughs> yeah he is in his 60s at the very least okay this happens, and then he's like, I choose Grandpa. So you're like, okay, cool. Junie has decided that there is some way in the game to make it that he can have that like super powerful top half and still be able to function in the game. When Grandpa drops in, Grandpa doesn't know where he is. Yeah. Which implies that they just zapped him into the video game somehow without telling him. Yep. Which is contradicted at the end because they wheel him out in the facility as if he was brought there and put into the game. I, I really think they're doing some Tron portal stuff with this movie, but it's, they don't aren't they don't do yeah. it consistently. 
Anyway, he has explained, oh, we have to stop the toy maker. This is when he gives his first dramatic speech about how much he used to fuck the toy maker. Um, <laughs> He's been searching for the toy maker for 30 years. At this point, the legs power up pops up, mega legs, which I have to imagine the toy maker made on the fly. And that was not a like power up in the game initially, because that oh, is very specific. Not. And Junie is very surprised by this, which means Junie had no plan on dealing with the fact that he brought a paraplegic man into a highly active, non-accessible space. <laughs> no idea. No, no plan. No plan. <laughs> it's like there's two different versions of this story. Like one where he tried the rest of his family and they couldn't be there. And so he pulled in his disabled grandfather, hoping that he could could help in any way shape or form and then the power up is like a surprise and one where he did this intentionally knowing that in a video game his disabled grandfather would have the power that he doesn't have in like reality to like physically help him do stuff but they didn't do either of those <laughs> and it's just garbage <laughs> <laughs> But Ricardo Montalban really sells it. Oh, Ricardo Montalban is great. And an actual disabled actor playing a disabled character. Okay. So cool. I was wondering why his entire body was CGI. And that exp I was I was wondering if that was the reason. Yeah. So cool. He has now passed away, I believe, right? Oh. Uh I believe so. So, uh, a while ago, but um, this is a great performance, honestly. He does sell <laughs> this very hard. Uh, yes, he passed away in 2009. Uh, his last feature film role was in... Oh, wow. <laughs> this is his second to last feature film role. Oh, uh, he also did it a bunch. It was his last in-person film role. Yeah, he did the a bunch of voice, voice work acting. afterwards for animated stuff. Uh, so this was the last screen appearance for Ricardo Montalban. You know, uh, good good one to go out on. Not the worst thing to go out on. It's not Orson Welles like being a giant planet-eating Transformers, but not everybody can get that. And he seems he seems to be having a lot of fun in this movie. It's got yeah. similar energies to the other last performance of a great actor we discussed. Um, in Mortal, was it Street Fighter? Street Fighter, uh, yeah, yeah, Street Fighter with um, Raul Julia's Raul last Julia. performance, uh, which is similarly joyful. Uh, so they swim into <laughs> the entrance to level five, which is like a cave in front of a big fancy wall. It's very reminiscent of uh, the cave in front of a big fancy wall in Lord of the Rings, which is fitting. <laughs> Because this is the point where the real the guy shows up. The guy. But he's not the, the guy. guy. He's not the real guy. No. Here's the thing. The guy is supposed to lead them through to level five. But he's a Which hacker. he does do. He cheated. That's why How he gets- he, che he cheated. He has 99 lives. I he cheated to get- No. Did he cheat or was he just that good at the game that he, he collected 99 lives? He absolutely See, I, cheated because, because at the beginning of the movie, near the beginning of the movie, one of the beta testers, the, the cool one, the charming one, uh, states that if you're caught cheating, you your life total will go to zero faster than you can say oops. And so the guy, the so-called guy with 99 lives, busts down the door to level five just like with his hand, which is probably hacking it, walks into the room and then gets zapped, immediately losing all of his lives 
and says, oops, which implies to me, and at the time when I watched this movie, that he is a hacker. Okay, do you want to hear my read? I accept that reading. Kenzie. My read is that this is the best game design element that the toy maker has come up with, is that he has instilled in the player base and in the manual the legend of this character, the guy, and the fact that the game is genuinely unbeatable. These are two very established parts of the mythology of Game Over. They instilled... Then, when any players actually get to the gates of game level 5, an AI character of the guy shows up as powerful as any player could possibly imagine anybody being, only to be immediately killed in front of them. This is an interesting read. Just to mess with people. This is a very interesting read. He does just appear. And he's clearly part of the, like the the guy lore is clearly an intentional part of the game. That's not accidental. That's a thing. The guy, I think, is the female. He's also the counterpoint to Demetra, the deceiver. It would only make sense if the guy was also a construct of the game in reality. I think the game, the guy, is the most powerful mindfuck that the toy maker could come up with to torture a bunch of children. <laughs> I had this comparison when we were watching it that it's very similar to how in the Matrix sequels, the one is revealed to be a part of the programming of the Matrix designed to pacify humanity by giving them a feasible revolution and thus rebooting the Matrix via this war between the machines and the humans. It is like we have embedded into the program this thing that is designed to discourage actual progress. Anyways, it's Elijah Wood. He shows up for like 10 minutes tops and then he gets totally killed. (laughs) Not even that. It's like three Three. minutes. Like he shows up. He acts all badass. He swaggers his way into level five. He gives a very inspiring speech. Immediately he dies and is not seen in the rest of the movie. Interesting. Okay. I will accept both of these reads. Choose your own adventure. Yeah, I, I think this is one that you can read it either way. They're level both five interesting. Is a big robot because that's what Le- it is. level five is a murder chamber where you will be trapped forever. <laughs> yes. It is an endless grid lined chamber full of giant robot monkeys. Uh, and then and a portal. Ricardo, Mont- Ricardo Montalban <laughs> flips the switch to turn the game off. Uh, Demetra is revealed to be a program, which Junie is upset about. Uh, and then Demetra like saves all of them by holding open the gates long enough for them to get away, uh, proving her humanity shortly before she dies forever. And yep. then they leave the game, and everybody's very happy. But the OSS is freaking out because they have to know if the toy maker was released when the game was shut down or not. Because For some reason they call in the actual kids that they were playing with just to show that they are not the people they pretended to be. Oh yeah, yeah they like zap them in. They like teleport them in. And it's just like, I'm not strong. I'm not smart. I'm not charming. We're just people I'm... playing a video game. We all, well, are just, have... whatever. They have specifically seem to swap archetypes, and the one who is the smart one in the game is the cool one in real life, and I have yeah. never known a cool person in my entire life to pretend to be smart. Also, <laughs> he was smart. He was good at the game and good at strategy. Yeah. You can't pretend to be smart. 
he is smart, just at games. Yep. Like, I get what the movie's going for, but it's dumb. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. But notably, the they make a point of the, there were two switches one that's sh- right next to each other one that shuts down the game and one that releases the toy maker and the woman assistant who is kind of more competent than the scientist in charge of everything who apparently helped seal away the toy maker or something uh she's like who wh- who was the idiot who designed that system and the scientist guy just looks sheepish and is quiet for a few moments and then they just <laughs> move on <laughs> because it's like did you accidentally let the toy maker out and grandpa's like i let the toy maker out but i did it on purpose and they're like no you idiot you, like, you why <laughs> you crazy it's wild old man. that nobody did a background check on this guy before sending him into the game like yeah no one knew but, that they had history nobody checked in on this there's parts of this movie where one of the reasons I think it's a big tonal shift from the first two is that the OSS in the first two is treated as a fairly, like, effective organization of, like, competent people that is, like, genuinely doing stuff. Whereas in this one, nobody knows how to do anything and everything is, like, badly cataloged at best. <laughs> <laughs> also, their office design is terrible. <laughs> they I have like these it. honeycomb-style cubicles that are suspended on the outside of walls, They're like running oh. up the side of the building. To be fair, this isn't an office. This is their virtual reality, like chamber i think all of those people were specifically there doing background programming stuff to make junie being in the game possible at least that's i think that's the idea but it is stupid because it doesn't it's a highly complicated pirating operation they're still suspended like up the wall in this building with no guardrails sitting in chairs on laptops people do america damn it people literally (laughs) do fall out of them when the earth starts shaking at the earthquake Tornado, hurricane have have come. They start falling out of these these honeycomb. I always thought that that seemed like an inevitable problem with the like hover system in uh, the prequel Star Wars movies as well, where everybody's in these like individualized hover pods for the like government meetings. I'm just like, is there a force field that is not shown on these, or are people just falling out of these all the time? (laughs) Like twelve senators killed in collision in (laughs) in Senate meeting. Well, but they have chairs that are like <laughs> these like are in like bowls. pods. Yeah, I just I, I think that's a similar problem. That's all I'm saying. Fair. It is a funny thing to imagine. <laughs> so, as we mentioned before, the climax of this movie is everybody's fighting robots with three D glasses on. They're punching um, robots with their own hands. and it is cameo green screen time alan cummings is here he's not really here tony shalhoub is here with alan cummings but nobody else (laughs) antonio banderas i think might have actually been there for like one scene it's like it's mary poppins cowboy it's gay like mutant multi-faced foogly dude and creator of the fooglies it's the family oh steve buscemi yeah steve buscemi mad scientist uh comes in on his flying pig oh yeah (laughs) so the first 
Do you Glasses. Want me to, do you want me to just list off all of the characters? Yes. Uh, I, I want to make one point first. <laughs> okay. So when Antonio Banderas, their father, shows up, they throw him a pair of 3D glasses, which he dramatically catches and put his on, puts on his face. Every other person who shows up just puts them onto their face and is not shown catching them. And it's just so lazy. Like you couldn't get an intern to throw, like you couldn't bother these people enough to catch a pair of 3D glasses. Like, come on, it's not that hard. It's just really like, you did it for the first one. So it's noticeable when all of the other ones are just cut of them, like throwing us on the 3D glasses, cut of them holding the 3D glasses and pulling them up to their face. And just, it's disappointing, okay? This scene also culminates with them doing, like, uh, everybody puts their hands in to do, like, the hand-over-hand, like, cheer thing. Except that because because nobody's actually sharing the same physical space, they're all just reaching off-screen. Oh, that, (laughs) no wonder that looks weird. Yeah, because they can't actually do oh. it. They're just reaching off camera. And then there's like a cut in close up of just a bunch of probably random stand ins with like hands over top of each other. <laughs> but anyway, the the cameos for the climax of this movie include Antonio Banderas as Gregorio Cortez, the father, Carla Gugino as Ingrid Cortez, their mother. Which I want to point out here, this is Junie's movie. It is Spy Kids 3, but it has entirely removed the family that is the core central premise of the other two Spy Kids movies. Carmen is barely in this. The parents are even less in it. The whole first two movies are about the importance of family. And in this one, they tack that on at the end because it's mostly just Junie kind of failing to do stuff with his grandpa. (laughs) We have uh, Holland Taylor as the grandmother. Yes, Holland Taylor as the grandmother. Sylvester Stallone as the toy maker. Uh, Mike Judge and Selma Hayek as Donegan and Francesca Giggles. <laughs> Matt O'Leary what? and Emily Osmond as their children, Gary and Gertie Giggles. Gary, who was the villain in the second movie, and I guess has had a redemption arc sometime between those two things. Uh, and Carmen and him maybe are a thing again? Who knows? Cheech Marin as Uncle Felix Gum. Danny Trejo as Uncle Mich- Shetty, who, as we briefly noted at the beginning of this, is canonically the same character as in the Grindhouse Machete movies. (laughs) Alan Cumming as Fegan Floop. Tony Shalhoub as Alexander Minion. Steve Buscemi as Romero. Bill Paxton and James Paxton as Dinky Winks Sr. and Jr. Those were such cursed. Yeah, that's the weird Mary Poppins cowboy. And Very his son, and they lasso a, lasso a robot, and it's just like, why? None of this is... I, I hate all of this. Every word I out believe, of your mouth is uncomfortable. I believe they own a theme park. Yes, they do in canon. They're gonna own. They're gonna lasso a robot for the theme park. Which I mean, fair. So yeah. those are all the family members that get called in for this climax. Uh, it might be worth noting. Uh, uh, you may or may not be familiar with Emily Osment uh, because she was like a long time child actress. I'm pretty sure she was like the secondary lead character on Hannah Montana for like years and years and years. Oh, like wow. she's definitely better her? than Junie. If you're, As an actor. Oh, yeah. Everybody in this movie is better than Junie. 
Which is unfortunate because Junie's the one you have to spend the most time with. If Junie were just 10% campier, I could really get on board with this movie, but he really brings it down. And then it's also worth noting that George Clooney has a brief cameo at the beginning and end as what is supposedly the president of the United States, but turns out to be a construct that is being controlled by the toy maker. Yep. Yeah. I, I yep. heard I read a fun fact that I'm sure you're gonna get to that his entire scene was filmed in his living room with a suit coat and in his underwear. <laughs> <laughs> he also does a mad Sylvester Stallone impression for a couple seconds there when they do yeah. the voice transfer. Very impressive. In the credits Good job, George. In the credits <laughs> they show him doing that without any of the processing. And he's and after he does it, he breaks character because his line is done and he's just like that's the end of my career right there <laughs> i really like it when george clooney is allowed to be funny he's a very good comedic actor it's it's effective use of his charm if you enjoyed this i would say watch hail caesar because he in that movie he is a actor who is kidnapped by communists but like doesn't really seem to get that he's been kidnapped and it's just really good i need to see this now yeah it's very good. Uh, uh, George Clooney is funny, is my point here. Oh, yeah. Clooney is great. He's even great in this movie. Like, he doesn't, like five minutes, he doesn't have much to do, but he's just really selling it. Like The man just has so much charisma that even in Spy Kids 3D, he still manages to give somehow a kind of affecting performance. It's also... I'm going to point out here, if we're going with the assumption that the president has always been, or not has always been, but in this movie is just a hologram produced by the toy maker, the toy maker is the person who got Junie to get into the game in the first place. Yeah. Because the reason Junie finally joins in is because the president calls him and is like, your sister's in the game. And you're like, ah, damn, gotta go help my sister. So it's just... Well, all of this is the the toy toy maker's plan to escape. intentional. Yeah, he's doing this entirely on purpose, and it works. Yeah. The toy maker is the smartest character in this entire movie. Although there are some things I don't understand about his plan. (laughs) So he wants to enslave the minds of the world's children using this video game. And he has this timer set for when the game launches globally. But then he goes out of his way to bring into the game the only two people that seem to be capable of stopping him before the timeline is, like, before the launch actually happens. Why? Because he's very gay for Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> he didn't know that gr- the grandfather would be pulled into the game. No, but he might just be slowly collecting the grandchildren of his enemy in some kind of bizarre ritual. Why not I d- wait until the launch well, he day? He could afford the game, Nathan. That was established. <laughs> he drops his piggy bank full of the money he's been saving up for the game when he is considering giving it to a disabled man washing windows at a charity. Oh, yeah. Okay, you're, no, you're bringing me around on these details. <laughs> so... The toy maker, he also wants to fuck with the OSS because they're his former employers. And who doesn't want to fuck with their former employers? Okay, I I have come around. The toy maker is a genius. (laughs) He's a mad genius, but he's a genius. (laughs) 
<laughs> he's also like this is the best the most entertained i've ever been to by sylvester stallone he's just loving this he's having so much fun oh yeah he, like, he, everybody is having fun in yeah. this movie which is he really, so refreshing he really reminds me of he reminded me of the villains from we are number one with his clones yeah a they had bit. similar energy movie's bonkers um as we've established this game would suck <laughs> okay do you want me to talk about the video game <laughs> yeah so the game as portrayed in the movie would suck lexi does the game based on the movie suck yes it's re- <laughs> oh, <no! laughs> it is by far the worst part of this franchise of video games because the <laughs> mega mission zone from the second movie has some like fun elements there's like stealth stuff like it, it, all of these it's basically a series of mini games that are like either side-scrolling platform type things or top-down type things. So, I mean, in the in Mega Mission Zone, you're like, there's like climbing a mountain and you're trying to avoid the monsters there or the cliff face. Uh, there's like crawling around as the, the little robot bug in a stealth place. There's like code breaking. There's there's all this different neat stuff in Game Over. It is basically you follow the plot of the movie, and uh, there is the th- the three things that I remember are the racing mini game, which. You go around a track, the track, there are a few different tracks of varying sizes, but if you hit the speed boosts and just press W, or well, I guess the forward key, and don't run into the walls, you will just win because everyone else is slower than you. The There is the lava surfing game, which is by far the worst because you're just surfing, avoiding rocks and sometimes fireballs, collecting power-ups that let you move around the screen a little bit faster. And it's horrible because it's really boring and it goes on forever. The one interesting thing of this is the fight. Uh, there is the fight minigame where you fight Arnold on a platforming thing. And they briefly touch on this in the movie where Ju- the staffs have different powers. Arnold's can like has a grabber arm that like grabs Junie's face. Junie is able to like create some kind of foam wall which breaks immediately and does nothing. But in this game, you can create your own platforms that can break uh, but like you can jump on them and you can jump into the air and create a platform. And then you can also create walls that draw aggro. So you can just jump behind the enemy as they wail on this wall and you can just beat them up until they're done. And it, so it's not well designed, but it is definitely the most fun part of it. The game <laughs> can be done in 3d. It, it can, it is compatible with 3d glasses. Uh, in fact, it is almost required that you play with 3d glasses. I don't think it actually works any other way now that I think about it. But what it and this is, is on PC? This was on PC and I think also Game Boy Advance. Okay. Uh, I tried to do some research into this thing. I really couldn't find it. Like I found <laughs> references to it on the wiki and some Amazon, like you can buy it on Amazon. I think you can buy it for Game Boy Advance and PC. I had it on PC. But also they have cutscenes that are just pulled almost directly from the movie. However, the movie is done in CGI, lots of CGI with actors stand-ins. This whole game, it takes basically scenes from the movie and remakes them as full CGI. So it just looks worse. (laughs) The movie looks bad. The game looks absolutely hideous. 
It's so blurry. It's bad. Oh, it's a Disney interactive game. Uh, so I actually what? got I D- Disney interactive. Disney has nothing to do with this. No, so Disney made a whole bunch of different uh, video games based on various movies. Uh, Some of them are good and some of them are absolute trash. This one is not good. Uh, But they also made some other ones that I made were, that I played were Treasure Planet Battle at Procyon, which is a good game. There's also the Tarzan platformer, which is also a good game. Okay, those are franchises that they own, though. They don't own Spy Kids. I don't know. They made it, apparently, according to the the box. It's got the Disney Interactive logo on the side. Oh, yeah, no, brand Disney Interactive Studios. Yeah. Uh, What the hell? This game is terrible. Uh... So yeah, this Features has been my corner, my corner <laughs> of... I followed the trail. Dimension Films is a division of Miramax, which is owned by Disney. Mm. So they do technically own it as of 1993 when they purchased all of Miramax. Gotcha. Uh, I'll let you know the Amazon listing says uh, features and details includes 3D glasses, surf rivers of lava filled with monsters. That's it. Those are the two features and details. <laughs> That's by far the worst game in the whole thing. I'm pretty sure uh, also that there's a th- uh, fourth one, a fourth game in that thing, but I don't remember what it is. I have absolutely no memory of it. Oh, and the way that they shut down the game after you after you finish the lava surfing, uh, you get you plunge into the lava, and it's really really it's so much worse cgi it's it's just absolutely terrible but instead of the rest of the movie they just swim to the bottom and there's a lever on the back of a rock and they flip it and the game ends you flip a switch (laughs) underneath lava and you shut down the game so they just skip the entire climax yes this game uh is available uh on amazon uh it is one and a half stars with four reviews that's Uh, about right and you can buy it for 45 dollars Excuse like me? Flexible, <laughs> like new. There's I only one result. We did not pay $45 for that game. Well, was, it's a collectible now. It's garbage. It was part of a collection. <laughs> it came with a collection of other games. They used to sell Disney games in collections of four for like 20 bucks. And some of them were good. If you want it now, you'll have to pay out of pocket. Do we have any fun facts for the folks at home? I'll keep this brief. There wasn't actually that much about this movie, and we already talked about most of the things. They shot, like, all of the cameos on separate days in separate places, just in green screen studios, which is why it all looks so weird. Uh, Most of the movie is digital backlot shooting that was pioneered on Phantom Menace. Robert Rodriguez composed the soundtrack for this movie himself. I liked the soundtrack. It was very... Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's the first. Uh, Apparently, he, like, has contributed to scores for his own movies for a while, but this is the first one that he got sole uh, composing credit on and he even performed a lot of the instruments for the title track which was oh, uh, the vocals were performed by Alexa Vega who was briefly a pop star yeah. okay uh, Rodriguez is actually this movie is an incredibly auteur project it is one of the most auteur projects we've ever talked about the score the directing the writing he even edited this dang thing yes he like, also edited this movie this himself is- a Robert Rodriguez film. It's just what it is. <laughs> yep. This 
movie led to the spin-off Shark Boy and Lava Girl, which we also mentioned that I think he made because his kids wanted him to make another one. It was based on a dream one of his children had. Right, that's it. It was based on a dream one of his kids had. That definitely makes sense. And, you know, I enjoyed that movie when I watched it. So I was into it. I was really into that movie. Oh, wow. Have any taste for trash Robert Rodriguez is delivering (laughs) also Shark Boy and Lava Girl very early Taylor Lautner appearance also apparently might be getting some kind of a like long awaited sequel keep an eye on that what Um, okay Uh, I've I've heard what I've heard yeah that's Spy Kids 3D Robert Rodriguez wanted to make another Spy Kids movie and he had this idea so he made it I thought I read that Sylvester Stallone got like a Raspberry award for worst supporting actor oh yeah no this got a lot of Golden Raspberry nominations Golden Raspberries is kind of bullshit I I don't tend to talk about those in this this show because it is just kind of stupid Okay, but but anyway, yeah, this is a fun one. Um, if we seemed a little bit weird this episode, I'm going to reiterate: it is it is November sixth, twenty twenty. Um, it's been (laughs) a week from hell, but things are starting to like look up at this point. So that's probably why we're in like a weird semi mania. (laughs) (laughs) We have talked for nearly two hours about this movie. Longer than the movie itself is, because that movie was only 88 minutes. It's really... Or like 82 minutes. Yeah, so we've talked almost twice the length of this movie. Um, (laughs) But that's because we wanted to, and I think this was a great bonus episode. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Do we have any final thoughts? I give this movie 99 lives. (laughs) really bad at ratings and i'm really bad at improv i'm i read an improv storytelling podcast i'm bad at improv look we can all agree that i'm the best at improv here yes but that doesn't mean you are bad that just means you're not me and i have the most arbitrary knowledge about movies uh i might argue on that point we have pretty similarly matched arbitrary knowledge split doors Right, uh, so I don't bring anything to this podcast. Oh, you have to bring kidding. lots to this podcast. I couldn't do it alone. I you literally two are, couldn't do it alone. You two are definitely more important to this podcast than I am. I am definitely the third wheel on this podcast. <laughs> you are a valued member of this show. <laughs> Remember, Lexi, everyone is your family. <laughs> <laughs> Which is apparently the moral of this movie. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. It I seems give, to think. I, I give this movie a family's worth of rocket boots. <laughs> and I give this movie three dimensions. <laughs> this movie does have a lot Barf. of really bad, like three D effects. By the way, it's the, hilarious when you're watching it in two D. It all look absolutely terrible in two D. That's been this episode, uh, this shockingly long bonus episode of Video Game the Movie Podcast. I am Mackenzie Eastrom. You can find me on the Twitters at Kenzie Phoenix. You can find me on Twitter at Bert Nerdtram. You can find me on Twitter at Conwell underscore Alex or on Facebook at Alex Conwell Creative. You can also find the show at VGTM Podcast. 
Uh, and you could find us all also participating in Lexi's wonderful RPG podcast, Dice Weave, season one, uh, which you can find at basically, hopefully, wherever podcasts are found. But like, we are hosted on Podbean, so like, listen there probably if you want to make sure that you do it right. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I'm know how anything sure works. We've done the iTunes search at the very least. So like, most podcatchers, the iTunes catcher. I don't think we're on Spotify. I tried. I thought we were. Maybe. I don't know. Spotify's weird. Yeah. Um, uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for coming on this ride. It's been a weird one. <laughs> uh, we appreciate your continued listenership. <laughs> this was a... Please this, don't go. <laughs> this was a distraction from uh, a lot of scary stuff. Anyways, bye. Don't forget to save. Don't forget to save.